Ooh, I have a roadie. There you go. <laughs> Music joke. Sorry. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome K2. I'm Mike Rutledge. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about a couple things as I was walking in the building, not part of what I was preparing for this message, but it hit me. You hear a story like this, and I don't know what it does for you, but for me, you know, so often when I hear stories of healing, I think of them being about something in a long, long time ago in a land far, far away in some third world country or Reader's Digest story that you read. And it's so cool to hear that it was a year ago in that pew right over here that God is still in the business of healing. And that's exciting, and it brings a sense of hope and joy and belief and trust. And so I hope it does the same thing for you. And uh, we're in the final week of a series that we've called Beyond These Walls. And we've been looking at the explosion of the first century church around the Mediterranean Rim in spite of some significant oppression and persecution, and then actually even expanding beyond that into the rest of the world. And uh, Luke details this account in the book of Acts. And um, we see the unleashing of the Holy Spirit, which resulted in crazy, crazy, miraculous outpourings and power that we hadn't seen before. We see the demonstration of a new community that we'd never experienced before, where people were without need. Like, we've never seen that prior. We've never seen it since. And then... We see unity and care for each other and all of that we've been looking at to understand, so what does that mean for us today? And the one thing that we know is that we as followers of Jesus are to be taking this gospel message of life change and power and miraculous occurrences out of these walls into the world around us. Now, we've looked at a lot of the different, you know, miracles and some of the different things over the past few weeks as we've been talking about this series, and, um, but today, we're going to be focusing specifically on healing, like specifically looking at healing. We're going to look at some stuff in Acts and some other places that we see it, and, um, you know, we, we've seen like these instantaneous, I can speak a language I don't know. We see flames of fire appearing in people above people's heads and mass conversions, thousands of people at a time. Today, the miracles we're going to be looking at are healing. And it's kind of interesting because I, I think if I asked each and every one of us in this room today to tell me or to, to, to share, and I'm not going to, but if I asked you to share, what does all of that mean <laughs> to them? And what does it mean to us today? I think we would get a myriad of different responses, first of all, and I think we'd probably see a lot of blank stares as well. But you hear a story like Corey's, and let me ask you another question. How many of you would say, you know what? If God could heal me, if someone could pray for me, and I could be healed, or if, if, if someone could pray for my son or someone I know, and they could be healed, I think if we were all honest, every single person would say, yes, I want that. Yes, I want to be healed. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, psychological, relational, mental, whatever it is, we all know in ourselves and in people that we know that there is healing that could take place. And today, I want to just tell you from the get-go, at the end of the service today, and I'm going to challenge you, don't leave. At the end of today's service, 
we're going to close by praying. And we're going to ask God to bring healing in this place. That's what the game plan is. Now, you just heard Corey's story, which is pretty fantastic. But I have another story of healing that I'd love to share with you. Um, and this is a story that, that uh, ran in the news in Tennessee, where there was a, uh, like a healer evangelist, and he was being sued for a million dollars by a woman, actually two women. And the one woman claimed that the evangelist healer injured her when he tried to punch the demon out of her stomach. And as a matter of fact, he hit her so hard, she went flying across the stage into another woman that got knocked down and broke her hip. The two women had an extended stay in the hospital and sued for punitive damages and hospital costs. Now, having just said that, I know what just happened in many of your minds. You're like, oh, I do all of a sudden remember someone I'd like you to pray healing prayer for. <laughs> right? It was funnier in my head, I guess, than you thought it was. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. We've probably all at some point turned on late night cable and you've seen some guy staring into the camera, some televangelist offering, you know, saying, hey, you can receive this vial of healing water or this healing towel if you'll send in this tax deductible gift of this amount. Or you, maybe you've seen the healings on the stage with great theatrics and people falling down and all this kind of stuff. And it would be easy to say, it would be actually hard to argue that we have not seen a misuse or abuse of the gift of healing. No, no, no question about it. People have, have misused it, abused it. They've monetized it. They've turned it into something that it's not supposed to be. Uh, but, and that fact alone could make it really easy to dismiss healing as a whole. But that would be, let me just, just, if that's where your brain is at, let me just challenge your thinking on that and say, say it like this. It would kind of be the same as if a bunch of people dressed up like horses put on horse costumes and they wandered through your neighborhood and you looked out your front window and you see these fake horses and you're like, those are fake horses. There are no horses, right? That would be the equivalent just because someone abuses it. And as a matter of fact, we see in the book of Acts, a guy who tried to do exactly this. He sees the apostles and they're laying their hands on people and the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is transferring from them into, the, into these people they're laying hands on. And this guy, Simon the sorcerer is like, that's cool. They go to the apostles, we'd like to, I'd like to buy that from you guys. Because he wanted to make money out of magic and sorcery and pretend something was what it wasn't. In spite of that, miracles and healings still took place. So here's what I want to do today. I want to share with you four important things that I think, four important principles that I think we can glean from reading through the book of Acts and understanding the miracles of healing that we observe in the Bible, specifically in Acts, but others as well. And then I want to take, like I said, we're going to take some time at the end of the day. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer and be prayed over for healing. And the first principle about healing, as I studied for this, was this, that our God is a healer. God is a healer. Now, throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the life of Christ, to the epistles, even into Revelation, we hear account 
Multiple accounts of healing taking place. We see, as a matter of fact, in uh, Exodus chapter 15, God declares himself to Moses to be Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord who heals. Fast forward to the futuristic, apocalyptic, prophetic book of Revelation chapter 22, and we're told that Jesus and God is represented as the healer of nations, one day obliterating sickness and death, which are the curse of sin, and there will never be any more death or sickness in the new heaven and new earth. It is clear he came to restore relationship and bring healing in our lives throughout all of Scripture, not just long, long time ago in a land far away, but today and going forward. In uh, the Gospels, I don't know if you know this, but there are 28 recorded healings, deliverances, or raisings from the dead where Jesus interceded on behalf of someone on their, you know, to bring them back to life or release them from demon, demonic oppression or lame people or whatever it was. And when he went from town to town, it's kind of interesting. He had a reputation to proceed, and the people knew he was a healer because they would flock to him. Some people would reach out just trying to touch him because they believed they could be healed. Some people would just beg him, right? They knew he was a healer. Look at this verse. I think this is maybe the best way to think, or at least a really good way, a framework for us to think about this. Dave shared this with me when we were talking this week. It's Luke chapter five, and it says this. In one of the, village, one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Our God is a healer. And if he's willing to heal us, we can be healed. But what's interesting is he's not around on earth anymore, is he? But he told the disciples when he left, you're going to be doing these same things. I'm going to give my power. I'm transferring it to you through the Holy Spirit. And then he went into heaven, which leads me to my second point or second observation that although our God is a healer, not always. And this may be one of the most troubling things as we try and have a theological understanding of who God is in our lives when we feel failed by God and the expectations and hopes that we had that he would heal someone that we care about. Maybe it's you. Why in the world would God not heal someone? How could him not healing me be better than healing me? You know, Jesus healed the lame man. Remember the pool of Bethesda, the guy who was laying there, he's there for years and he's just trying to creep into the pool. But before he gets there, people rushed in and beat him to it and then he wouldn't get healed. And Jesus went and healed that guy. But guess what? He didn't heal a single other person at the pool. And then you have Paul who prayed for release from, from what he had, from, from, from what he needed healing for. And uh, it's really interesting because it's not clear what it is. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. You read all the commentaries and everyone's got an opinion, but they can't agree on this. It could, but it was significant chronic maladies such as like uh, m- malaria, 
ophthalmia, migraine, headaches, epilepsy, maybe significant guilt, regret, mental issues, mental health issues. Like he was struggling. Some people uh, actually even uh, probably demonic, not in a possession because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but maybe a demonic presence that was pestering him. It was a significant chronic issue that he had and he prayed for healing and it didn't come. And Paul's perspective on this is so helpful. And let me just say one other thing. Here's what we also know. That eventually, every single person in the world, every single person in the world will not be healed by God in earthly terms. Every single one of us. And Paul's perspective is so helpful in understanding how can the loving God not heal the people I want healed or myself. He says this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, I think one of the presumptions that we have is that being healthy and being healed and in good shape and everything being good about our lives is the best thing for me, even in a spiritual sense, right? If How could it be better for me to be sick than healthy? But Paul felt like he was given this malady, whatever it was. The term in Greek for given the malady was actually to be granted, like the privilege of carrying this whatever was given to him. And why was that? So to keep him from what? Becoming conceited or keep him humble, but also to keep him reliant on God and God's grace. It says, He says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Also to give him an extra helping of God's power, he said, so that Christ's power can rest on me. Apparently, it's not always best for us to be healed. If you are willing, you can. Not you will, but you can. Again, the difficulty we face is when we feel disappointed because God doesn't do what we had hoped for. And when God is willing, we need to thank him for his loving kindness. And when God is not willing, we need to trust that his grace is sufficient and we can rely on his power even when we are disappointed. And man, that's hard to do because every person in this room has experienced disappointment with a hope you had with God where he didn't come through. And it just doesn't seem fair. It was a good thing. (laughs) What I want to do, I want to just shift here for just a second, segue into another story. It's not specifically about healing, but maybe this will help. And uh, you remember this all started with the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let me, I'm just going to do like a children's church kind of thing. I want you to practice something here. If I go like this, you go, yay. Let me hear you. Ready? Yay. Not, come on. No. Ready? Yay. All right. 
And if I go like this, I want you to go, huh? Ready? All right, ready? Now, this all started with the promise of the Holy Spirit being given to the people and an outpouring of power, right? So he says, but you will receive power, Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. See, Samaritans, no, they're the bad people. We don't, just, it's shocking to me. I discovered this as reading. It's shocking to me. There's not more commentary around this because the Samaritans were the outcasts. They were the hated people. And it's just like, yeah, you're going to be witnessing to them. Hmm? And to the ends of the earth. But here's what's interesting. Chapter 7, you have this guy. His name is Saul. And he presides over the stoning of this guy named Stephen. And they throw their coats at his feet, all these religious leaders, and then they stone Stephen, and Stephen dies. That's the last verse in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, something else happens. It says, and a great wave of persecution began that day. Wait, I thought that we were going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. A great persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then at the end of chapter 8, you, there's a, an account of Philip witnessing to an Ethiopian who's from where? Africa, which in their minds, 1,600 miles away, was probably the ends of the earth. See, we have an actual literal fulfillment of that prophetic moment where the gospel was going to spread. But here's why I'm telling you this story. I find that fascinating in and of itself. But we read this little verse, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The gospel is spreading. If our personal healing and our well-being is the ultimate good, then there is no way when a persecution that brings pain, torture, stoning, martyrdom, hardship, jail time, displacement, fear, witness, relocation, ultimately death and martyrdom would be something we would celebrate. No, we would probably say, and actually, we do say, take this away from us. <laughs> Give us, get us into the place where we're happy and healthy. But we don't always know what God's got going on. And here's what's even tougher. We may never know. This side of heaven, you may never know so we've got to accept that a God in heaven has a bigger picture and has a broader purpose for our lives. Third point, that God's healing is for greater glory. And just as we, you know, we just talked about Paul, his perspective was that God did this for a greater purpose. He's very clear about that. 
And uh, I, I want to look at uh, what took place in Acts when the apostles healed and they came in contact with people. There are six actual healings that I think are very, very fascinating to kind of look into because they give us the broader picture. The first we find in Acts chapter three when he, uh, Peter heals the lame man at the beautiful gate, it's called. He heals him. And, and this guy was carried every day. Someone would carry him to the gate. They'd plop him down. And his purpose in life had become to gather a few shekels to make it through the day and be able to have food for the day. That, that was his purpose in life at that point. And as he sees the apostles walking through the gate to enter, enter into the um, uh, synagogue. He sees them and he cries out, hey, you got some money for me. Can you give me some money? And Peter looks at him and says, no, I don't have any money for you. I'm going to give you what you really need. And he heals him. Now, what's interesting about that, because of the pain and the suffering, this person had accepted a position that there was Nothing left to do with his life in terms of purpose other than to make it through a day. And Peter realizes, no, no, there's more for your life than that. He doesn't give him money. He heals him. And it says the guy leaps into the air, <laughs> right? He leaps into the air. And then he praises God. And it says, and all who recognized him praised God, and everyone was in awe. They're like, holy smokes. This God is something. Then you go to chapter 9, we see another one where Paul, you remember Saul, who presided over the stoning of Stephen, he's now Paul, and he, well, he's about to become Paul. He's on a trip to Damascus. He gets blinded by a light. He's converted to Christianity, he's healed, and he's transformed as a person. And then what we're told in verse, verse 21 of chapter 9, all who heard were amazed, and the believers were emboldened to take the message out even further. It's fantastic. The gospel starts even spreading more to the point where Paul now is on the hit list of the people who used to be on his team, and he's running for his life as he's spreading the gospel. Continuing chapter 9, Peter heals Aeneas at Lydda, and this guy was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. You want to hear about something fantastic? In verse 35, it says, after he was healed, the entire population, how much? About, about how much, what percentage would that be, roughly? 100, okay. The entire population of Lydda and Sharon turned to Jesus. Wait, what? 100% of two cities witnessed a healing and turned to Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now that's great for the guy who got healed too. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's still leaping for joy as well. But there's a greater purpose than simply the healing. Now, let's get another one. Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, or Dorcas was her Greek name. And it says, news raced through the whole town and many believed in the Lord. Fantastic. People are seeing the, the, the healings. She's raised from the dead. She comes uh, and the city is transformed. Chapter 14, this is really interesting. In chapter 14, Paul heals a man who was crippled from birth. He had never walked. This is in Derby and Lystra, which, it, which are in the, in the, like the province of Lyconia. And here's what happened. They see this healing of, uh, uh, of this guy. The people of the city see the healing and they're like, 
holy smokes, they're gods. Like they literally thought that they were gods. They thought Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes because in Lyconia, there was this ancient legend that Hermes and Zeus were going to return to earth one day. And they're like, we're experiencing the return of Hermes and Zeus. This is amazing. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, wrong gods. This God. And they like that answer so much, they stone Paul. And he lives, probably making them even more think that he's a god. Then, the last one, Paul preaches through the night, and a kid in the third floor at midnight falls asleep. So I don't want to hear it if I run long. I'll be done way before midnight. This kid on the third floor falls asleep, falls out of the window to his death. Paul goes over. He hugs the kid. Kid comes back to life. They go have dinner, send the kid home completely healed, and they, Paul continues preaching until the morning, and the belief again, the belief is that there was a God who heals. And let me just ask you this. I was going to say this at the beginning, but when I heard Cordy's story, I thought this to myself, when is the last time I got ready to come to church and thought to myself, oh yeah, there's about to be some healing today. It's been a long time for me, if I'm honest with myself. And we've put God into this small box, but what we need to understand is God can heal, and he does heal. But when he does heal, it's not just about the healing, it's about greater glory that he brings to everyone. The fourth is that the healer is more important than the healing. The healer is more important than the healing. Oswald Chambers says this, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things that can only be learned in the fiery furnace. So the point is that some things are not going to be transferred to us. We're not going to embrace. We're not going to learn unless we have to endure the hardship. There's an interesting account. This is the last one I'm going to share with you. There's an interesting account of Jesus healing 10 10 men with leprosy. You've probably heard the story before in Sunday school or if you've grown up in church. It's it's, a story that's very common. But here's what's interesting. A leper was considered, if you, know that, if you know this, a leper was considered ceremonially unclean, right? And so they were, they were relegated to the outskirts of society. They had to live outside of the camp of Israel. They had to live by themselves in colonies. Now, these 10, there were nine Jewish lepers, they believe, and one Samaritan. And uh, they had to wear mourning clothes, like in the Jewish culture, you, when you would mourn, you'd wear a certain kind of clothing. They had to wear that all the time. And then they had to cry out when they would see someone, they would have to call out, talk about humiliating. They'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come close enough to them to contract this disease, which they believed was transmittable, which we found out since it's not. And if someone was believed to have 
leprosy. And then they're like, oh, no, 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 he doesn't have leprosy. If he's cleared, they would have to go to the priest and show themselves so the priest could clear them and say, okay, you're clear. And he would give them a specific set of instructions as to how to reintegrate into culture, into society. So having leprosy was kind of like a walking death sentence. In many ways, the leprosy itself was, but then the social implications of having leprosy added on top of that. So Jesus enters this village and uh, somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, he enters this village and these 10 guys were told, cry out to him, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, and probably unclean, unclean. Look at this verse, Luke 18 says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Hold on. He hadn't healed them yet. <laughs> Why are they going to the priests? Well, we're about to find out that as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So he sees these guys that are like, hey, unclean, unclean, have mercy. He's like, all right, go show yourself to the priests. They leave, and as they're going, they're healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And again, the Samaritans without leprosy were already social outcasts. So this guy has a double dip on gratefulness. Let me finish reading this verse. And he said, didn't, ten men, didn't, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, these nine other people with leprosy, they were content to have a physical healing. They're like, great, I'm healed. New lease on life. And they were probably, probably right. But this one guy saw a little deeper. and He went back to bring glory to God. And this term, your faith has made you well, the literal translation, sozo, is the word. The literal translation for that is has saved you and healed you. There is a spiritual implication and a physical implication. Not only is your body healed, your spirit is healed. This man received salvation because, because the healer is more important than the healing. And the healer brings the healing. And maybe one of the most fascinating scenarios or details about this that we see is, what are they supposed to shout? Unclean, unclean. After this man's healed, what is he shouting? Glory to God. This man's life was changed. His soul was saved. And his perspective about who God was is completely revolutionized. Because he met the healer, he didn't just receive a healing in his life. So, here's what I want to do with the time that we have left today. Just a few minutes. And I want to challenge you. I just, I really want to challenge you guys to lean into this. I have no idea what's going to happen right now. But I'm going to pray a prayer. Taken straight from the book of James. And I want you to think about this. I asked you at the beginning, how many of you, if you believed you could be healed of something by a prayer, would want that in your life? And we're going to invite some leaders to come down, leaders of the church, in just a second.
We're going to ask you, if you want to receive prayer for healing, to come forward and pray with us. We'll pray with you. But before we do, I want to pray a prayer for all of us. And if you decide, by the way, this is totally up to you. If you decide, no, no, I'm not, this is not a guilt statement or anything like that. If you decide, no, I'm not going to come and pray. I'm going to ask you to stay in your seats while we pray and intercede on behalf of everyone. Or maybe you want to pray with the person sitting next to you, a friend or, you know, a spouse or a son or a parent for healing. Now, again, this could be spiritual. It could be emotional. It could be psychological. Whatever it is, I'm asking you to just lean into the belief that like Corey, healing can happen in this place and any other place in the world. And we need to begin to expect it to happen because God promises healing. So as our leaders, if you're one of the people to pray, why don't you guys come on up, stay in your seats for just a minute, everyone else. And let me pray this over you. And I'm going to kind of walk you through some things that I think might be helpful cues for you to to look look at. This is James chapter five. It says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want you to look at something here. I'm just pulling these words out and looking exactly what he offers, what he tells us to pray about. He says, are any of you in trouble? And the first trouble is suffering hardship, suffering evil, experiencing emotional pain. That's the literal meaning of that word. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're sick, weak, becoming weak, feeling weak. Maybe you've COVID stuff, maybe whatever. If you're feeling sick, come and receive prayer. It says, have you sinned? And that word, it's, it's a combination of two words, hamartia and poeo. And it means, have you failed? Is something making you do something you don't want to do? Are you stuck in a pattern that you want out of? Then come receive healing prayer. And then it says, maybe for some of you, you just like, you've got stuff in your life. You're like, I'm not ready to have someone pray for me, but I need to confess some things to God. (laughs) Or actually, I know I've got some junk with so-and-so. Maybe you need to start writing a text right now or sending an email We're just praying that God can release you from whatever is going on in your life between the two of you and pray for each other. So let me pray, and then I'll close this in a minute. Stay put till I come back, unless you're coming for prayer and praying with us. Lord Jesus, you offer to heal us And there's no magic wand we can wave to guarantee what you're going to do. But we know that what's more important is that we can lean into the belief that you are good, that you are all powerful, and you can do anything in our lives. And 
as I look out over this congregation, I know people in this room have stuff, hard stuff, challenging stuff, where they know someone, their kids, their family, their friends, that they need release in. They need the power of the Holy Spirit to move into their lives and bring healing. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to flow in this place with freedom. I'm asking specifically that you heal our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our bodies. Heal our relationships. We know you can do it. We ask this in your name. We're going to give you a few minutes. Please just stay put and we'll close out in a minute. If you want to come for a healing prayer, we'd love to invite you to come.